You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. It's good to be with you all uh, this morning. If you're a guest with us today, I want to extend a special welcome to you, whether you're joining us in the room today or whether you're joining us online. Thank you so much for being with us this morning as we worship together and get into God's Word together. We're continuing on in our study on the book of Philippians. If you are tuning in with us online, we'd love to encourage you to go to our website where you can find our Connect card. You can just go to midtown2notch.com. And we would love for you to fill out that Connect card for us if if you have not already done so, especially if you're interested in connecting further with us as a church. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to that passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 1. We'll get it started at verse 27. Again, Philippians chapter 1, I want to get it started at verse 27. While you're turning there, if you do uh, make your way to our website, specifically if you go to uh, our sermons page and and our sermon series page, you'll find that one of the resources that we have for you there are our scripture guides. Uh, One of the things that that I find to be very important for all believers is that we seek to dive deeply into the word of God as much as we can. And so we wanted to provide these scripture guides for you that further break down the text and even are able to get into some things that I won't have time to get into today in our time together doing this sermon. So I do want to highly encourage uh, you take some time to look at that scripture guide that you'll find on uh, the sermon page for this week. I believe you can go to midtowntunashcom slash teaching. Uh, and then direct your way to this specific sermon for today, and you'll find the scripture guide, scripture guide for these four verses that we'll be getting into today. I find that to be a very relevant way to, to get us into the sermon for today, because the, the passage of the Bible we're getting into today, one of the ways I, I think it'd be helpful for us to think about it is, I heard a pastor say one description of the Bible that I love, and he, he described the Bible as meditation literature. He described the Bible as meditation literature. And by that, he was saying that it doesn't give up its riches. It doesn't give up all of its riches upon first reading. Rather, it takes time and study and meditation on the word of God to to plumb through the depths of the word of God. This particular passage that we'll be in today is one of those passages that oftentimes at first reading, you might miss how weighty it is what the apostle is writing to us and saying to us. There, there are, the, the word of God is always inexhaustible in all of its riches. This passage particularly is one that I feel requires a lot of further inspection to have a deeper understanding of what the apostle is writing. I say that largely because of what we see in verse 27, where it reads, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, depending on your translation, your Bible might have a foot might have a footnote there uh, after the phrase "Let your manner of life be worthy." If you do have a footnote, you might be able to look into the margin of your Bible or wherever the footnotes are, and you'll see that that phrase literally means to behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. To behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's likely that that, that that idea of being a citizen that lives a life that is worthy of the gospel is likely that that hit harder for them than it did for us because of how they understood citizenship. The city of Philippi, where this church is located, was a Roman colony. 
the, the, the members of, of that city were, were Roman citizens. Now, in the Roman Empire, not everyone was a Roman citizen. There were a lot of benefits to being a Roman citizen. There was oftentimes a lot of pride that, that the, the citizens would have, that they are a citizen of Rome, the most powerful empire in the world. We won't turn there for the sake of time today, but there's a story in the book of Acts where Paul is ministering in Philippi. I think this is even before there was officially a church there in Philippi. And the magistrates had Paul beaten because he had cast out a, cast a demon out of an enslaved girl or woman. And then her masters got really mad at Paul because she was making them uh, a lot of money. And so the magistrates, because it was, it was legitimately affecting the economy of the city, they had Paul beaten. Later on, after Paul is out of jail, they find out that, that the apostle Paul himself was actually a Roman citizen. So they go and apologize to Paul for treating him the way that they did. All that to say, it meant something very important. It meant something very significant for them to be Roman citizens. And this is the case for the city of Philippi. Roman citizenship had profound benefits. It brought legal rights and protections. It brought monetary privilege through taxation status. It brought safety and security. And as we look at verse 27, the apostle is saying that they are to live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. To live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word in the Greek that's translated gospel there in the New Testament is the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion. It is not a uniquely Christian word. It was used as a military or political term that broadly meant heralding good news about a king. It meant to herald good news about a king. And the apostle is saying that they are to to live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So oftentimes after a war, the victorious king will be proclaimed. They would be proclaiming the gospel, so to speak, of that king. Messengers would scatter throughout the empire with the good news, and they would say something like, Octavian is Lord, or Tiberius is Lord, or Nero is Lord. This was cause for rejoicing because it meant the empire was intact. The empire was in power. I do feel the need to point out something here. Just as we make sure we have a firm understanding of that word gospel, that would be important for us going forward. If someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? I just want you to think about what you would say. I think for many of us, oftentimes we would say, well, Jesus Christ died for my sins so that I could be reconciled back to God and have eternal life and have a relationship with him. And that's not wrong. It's just incomplete. It's just incomplete. The term gospel is not just about individual salvation. The term gospel is about a kingdom that is on the way, about a kingdom that is taking over. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that through the the coming kingdom of God, the kingdom that is at hand, he is doing away with and overcoming the kingdom of darkness in the earth and everything that sin has done. That he is is ridding this, this world of the shackles that sin and the curse of sin has placed on the world. He's saying live as a citizen worthy of the fact that Christ is doing that. Live as a citizen worthy of the fact that that is now the kingdom that you are a part of, that your primary citizenship now lies in this new kingdom, this greater kingdom, this kingdom that is even greater than the Roman Empire, which was the greatest empire they had known about. He's saying, I want, you to, I want to make sure that you're living a life worthy of the fact that there is a king that's greater than Caesar, that there is a kingdom that is greater than the Roman Empire, 
And you need to live as a citizen of that kingdom. So the question for us, I want to answer in three different points today, is what does that mean for us? Like, what does it look like to actually live as a citizen that is worthy of the good news of Christ? That is, that live as a citizen that is worthy of this news, that there is a new kingdom that, that supersedes all other kingdoms, all other nations, that we are to primarily find our citizenship in this kingdom. I want to point out three things from this passage. I wish I had time to get into more, into the, get into more topics and answers to that question in this passage. So I won't be able to get into everything today, but there are three specific things I want to draw out about what does it mean? What does it look like? What are the distinguishing characteristics of a citizen of a kingdom? First point I want to point out is that it means allegiance to the king. It means allegiance to the king. This would have just been fundamentally understood by them at that time as what you must do if you are a citizen of a a kingdom. In the context where Paul writes this, there is no democracy. If people disagree with Caesar, you're not going on social media to make that known. You might only be telling that to the people that you trust the most. Because you oppose Caesar publicly, you risk death. You risk that this is not a democracy, this is a dictatorship. This is the way everyone understood it to be at that time. The king would have you killed. There's no public campaigns, campaigns about why Caesar is wrong. And that's why when the religious leaders of Jesus' day wanted to kill him, I don't know if you remember this, what they did was they told Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be king of the Jews. They were putting pressure on Pilate and saying, hey, you need to get rid of this guy because I know you don't want Caesar to find out that you're friends with somebody that's saying that they're the king. Because at this time, you did not oppose the king. You did not follow any other king than Caesar. I believe this is why Peter was afraid and denied Jesus after, I mean, when Jesus was about to be crucified, while all the disciples disciples were afraid before Jesus showed them that he was alive. Because you don't want to be found following somebody who claims to be king over Caesar. Your chief responsibility is to pledge your allegiance to the king. And in the next chapter of this book, which we'll get to in a few weeks, Paul writes that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. It would have been very common in Philippi, especially Philippi was a city that had many military veterans in the city. People who had a very strong allegiance to the empire. They had served and sacrificed a lot for this empire to be what it was. They had a strong allegiance oftentimes to the kingdom of Rome, the empire of Rome. And Jesus says, one day, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess, not that Caesar is Lord, but that Jesus is Lord. And he is calling them to go ahead and begin doing what everyone will ultimately acknowledge in one way or another at some point in time. And that's that Jesus is Lord. I don't want us to make any mistake about it. Because of how often it was said that Caesar was Lord, saying that Jesus was Lord was very much communicating that their allegiance allegiance was to Jesus over Caesar. The early Christians saying Jesus is Lord communicated that they followed Jesus over everyone and over everything else. This would have been extremely countercultural, very much going against the grain, very much going against the way of the world at that time to say that I follow Jesus over everyone and everything else because Jesus is Lord. Some of us, we need to look at our desire for comfort and proclaim to that desire that Jesus is Lord. You are not Lord. 
Some of us need to look at our desire for the approval of other people and tell those desires that Jesus is Lord. You are not Lord over me. We need to look at our personal goals, even in our aspirations, and keep them in check by proclaiming to them that Jesus is Lord over me, not you. We need to look at the desires we have to be in control over everything in our lives and tell our worries and tell our cares that Jesus is Lord, that he reigns supreme, that he is the king that I can trust to lead me and rule over my life. Jesus is Lord. This is what it means to live as a citizen in his kingdom, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, to be able to proclaim boldly to everyone, including ourselves, Jesus is Lord. Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. And these Christians in Philippi, not only would they have to pledge their allegiance to Jesus over Caesar, but because they are citizens of God's kingdom now, they need to pledge their allegiance to Jesus over and above the social pressures that they would have definitely have felt. I imagine it would have been difficult for them to proclaim Jesus as Lord and follow him and his rules and commands even when society would have very much looked down on Christians at this time. You're looking at a time where where so many people were polytheists. They, They believed in so many different gods. For them to say, no, there is one true God. Jesus is Lord. I follow him. The only way to know him is through Jesus. They would have been looked down upon. They would have been ridiculed. Many Christians were socially ostracized. Paul, for this very message, is currently sitting in a prison where uh, it is likely that he is going to die. Or at least he believes there is a great possibility that he will. It would have been difficult to swim upstream to go against the grain. I believe similarly it is difficult for us to, on a day-in and day-out basis, pledge our allegiance to Christ. We live in a society that often finds the Bible to be outdated to be antiquated. You still follow that book? It's your body. You can do what you want to with it. Don't let nobody tell you how to live your life. But as followers of Jesus, as citizens of his kingdom, as those who live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, we know that not even our body belongs to us. But we were purchased with a price. And one of the best things about being citizens of Jesus' kingdom is that we obey knowing that we follow a good king. Knowing that we follow a good king. Citizens of Rome at that time, they knew if you have some type of opposition to Caesar, you are risking your life because he might have you killed. So at least to some degree, there was this obedience due to to fear that they might lose their lives, even if they were citizens of the kingdom. This is what Paul was dealing with right now, knowing that because he he would say that Jesus is Lord, because he was promoting Christianity, he knew he was risking his life to do so. But the blessing, one of the great blessings of being a citizen of the kingdom of God is that when we opposed him, he died. The king died. He had himself killed instead of having us killed for all who follow him, for all who are citizens of his kingdom. That's a king you trust. The king who has all the power, the king who has all authority, and to make sure you can still be a member of his kingdom and a citizen of his kingdom, even though you oppose him, instead of having you executed, he kills himself. We serve a great king in a great kingdom. The Philippians, Paul was letting them know that they were citizens of a better kingdom now with a good king whose wisdom and love and power we can trust enough to give our lives to and to pledge our allegiance to. 
The first point is our allegiance to the king. The second one is laboring together with fellow citizens. These are distinguishing marks of being a citizen of a kingdom, laboring together with fellow citizens. I want to read verse 27 in its entirety this time. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, I'm sorry, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The Greek word is translated striving side by side there. It means to wrestle in company with. It means to labor with, to strive together for, to make great effort to achieve or to obtain something together. The term was often used to refer to a specific military formation, which I think Paul is using specifically because he knows there's a lot of military veterans that were in this, in this city and likely in this church. And it, refers to a, it is used to refer to a military formation where the soldiers would get close together, so close together that their shields would overlap with one another so that they would be striving side by side, protecting each other as they fought against the enemy. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying is an evidence of, of real life or, or living in a manner worthy of the gospel or living as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, striving side by side, providing cover for each other. He's saying, live as citizens of Christ's kingdom by working together and making great effort together to achieve or obtain something. I got a question for you. Do you see that as a part of what it means to be a Christian? striving side by side with other believers? Do you see that as, what it, as a part of what it means to be a Christian? I, one of my pet peeves about the way the, the Christianity is perceived today, about the way our faith is often perceived today, one of my pet peeves is the fact that we, we tend to believe that we can live our faith in solitude. I hear, I hear people say, I, I don't need the church, I don't need anybody, it's just me and Jesus. That's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. There are verses that you cannot put into practice if you are trying to live this life out solo, if you're trying to live your faith out in a way that's solo. This is not the Christianity that God designed, that that Christ preached, or that Paul is showing us here in this passage, but rather that we are those that show that we are citizens of this new kingdom by striving side by side with fellow citizens of the kingdom. This unity, this oneness, it runs deep. And we work hard together with other believers as we strive side by side for the gospel. That I'm coming into this thing ready to sweat, ready to work, ready to grind together for the mission of God. As Christians, citizens of the kingdom of God, of Christ's kingdom, hear me on this, we don't just worship together, we work together. What this verse is showing us is that citizens of the kingdom, we don't just worship together, we work together. As citizens of the kingdom, we don't just worship together, we war together. This is not about just us coming together and playing nice and trying to just talk about the things that we have in common. Yes, that's extremely important, but also what the apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 if if you're living a life worthy of a citizen of the gospel of Christ, you strive side by side with each other. This is a part of how you live. We, we roll up the sleeves and get to work together. 
And I will say this, if you don't have that type of mindset as a Christian, that you work hard together with other Christians to see God's kingdom come and his will being done in the earth, hear me very clearly on this. You have a very immature faith. You have a very immature faith. In my home, everybody except for one person has roles and responsibilities. That one person in my home who doesn't, he's one and a half, and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Give me a little bit of time. I'm working on it. But we understand as members of the same family serving together that, that our family might function well for the good and the health and the flourishing of everybody involves. Everybody has a role. Everybody plays a part. Whether it's an official role or not, everybody has a role. We strive side by side together. We're in battle together. Family, the church, the church is a family. It's not a retail store. This is our family. Your commitment to a family is different than your commitment to a retail store. Your commitment to a family is based off of love. Your commitment to retail or to a retail store is based off of how interested you are in what it is offering you at the time. We are a family. We strive side by side together. The family is valuable because of who we are, because who started our family, who brought us all together, because we love one another. That's what ties us together. That's why we strive side by side together. You approach a retail store as a consumer. You approach a family as a sibling that has as much ownership in the family as anyone else does. That is how you approach a family. So often churches are hindered because we're so immature in our faith and we're, we're so extremely concerned with what the church can give to us and we don't care about what we are giving to others and how we are, are using the gifts and the talents and the resources and what we have that God has given us to edify the body of Christ and the church suffers and we don't move forward in the mission as God is calling us to because we don't apply verses like verse 27 to our lives at all oftentimes. We aren't as compelled about what Christ is doing in and through his people so we don't choose to over and over again strive side by side with our brothers and sisters in the faith. I got to do this again. I know I did this a few weeks ago. Some of y'all need to mind y'all business in what I'm about to say. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all, y'all, y'all about to, you, you shouldn't involve yourself in a conversation that got nothing to do with you, so you need to mind your business. There are some of us, I, no, I want you say it that way, throughout the history of our church, we have had life group leaders burn out because members in our life groups have no theological working concept of striving side by side with other believers in the faith. And so the life group leader is planning all the rhythms, the life group leader is leading the discussion, the life group leader is, is, is trying to help the group be on mission, and other people are showing up, and they probably aren't even saying anything oftentimes. And, and it's due to a lack of an understanding that a part of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God is we work together. We strive together. I, I have prayed for us that we would see those Tuesday night meetings or whenever, whenever your life group comes together as just like that, that formation, that military formation that I talked about a little bit earlier, that we're coming close to each other, that we're putting our shields up, that we're interlocking our shields, that we might cover each other and protect each other and fight for each other. This is what we do in our life group meetings. This is not just a time where we're coming and sharing how we're doing. We fight for each other. You pushing through the difficulty or however you feel, and you're listening, you're listening for prayer requests, you're considering ways that you might encourage your brothers and sisters with Scripture, you stepping out boldly through the power of the Holy Spirit and encouraging your brothers and sisters with the Word of God. This is a striving side by side with each other, fighting with each other, fighting for each other. This is what we do. This is what it is to be a Christian. 
Some of you need to pray. You need to repent today because you have no desire whatsoever to add anything to your life or whatever fellowship or biblical community that you find yourself in. That is not biblical. That is not Christian. That is an immature faith. And God is calling us to grow up. God is calling us oftentimes to take more responsibility, to take more ownership. And I want to be real clear because I know some of y'all got problems minding your business. Because some of y'all ain't talking to y'all because y'all almost do too much as it is. I'm going to say this. These aren't the only ones. But let me just be real clear just so you know who I'm telling to mind their business. Your name is Chris Harris, Jasmine Tremont Davis, Morgan Delicious Chingler, Zach, Justin, West, And I know there's a few other people I left out. Y'all doing almost too much as it is. Anybody talking to you? Mind your business. You're serving in, too many, you're serving in a bunch of ministries as it is. But I will say this. As a church, we still have room to grow in this area. We still have room to grow. I'll say it. I'll say it this way. One of the things that I think I've been able to notice that many people have not been able to notice. Our church is growing. I don't know if you can tell. We got seven people in midtown class right now. This is one of the biggest midtown class we've had in a while. We offer three of them a year. We got seven people in midtown class. Here's what that means. That means the need for leaders in our church is increasing all the more. Many of us cannot see it because we can't get all of us in the room. Usually, generally speaking, before the pandemic, if our church was growing, you could look around and tell. It's like, we got more people. We got all these chairs packed up. But now we have limited seating capacity, so you're not able to tell. I think our church has grown 15 to 20% since the pandemic started, which is, which is amazing, which is incredible. Here's what that means. We lose the ability to care for people in the same way if those in our church are not continuing to step up into more leadership positions in our church. That's why this is so important for us right now. That's why we need to understand this. We need to be able to examine, God, are you calling me now to step into a, a leadership role as I've been playing the sidelines for you? Are you calling me to take on more responsibility within our church? This is incredibly important for us. If I'm being honest, I believe some of us in our church, because of the pandemic, we didn't have as many serving opportunities available. I think some of us have got out of the habit of serving. I think some of us have gotten comfortable with how easy things were, how much easier some of the things were that we've done as a church during the pandemic. We haven't done the outreaches in the same way. We haven't, especially at, at the beginning, we, we minimized our, our host team for social distancing reasons. And many people who are consistently serving have gotten very comfortable no longer, no longer serving. I believe God is calling us through the words of the Apostle Paul. No, we strive side by side. We work. We labor together. We roll up the sleeves together. We fight together. I was messaging with Mark, who oversees our life groups, and he was saying that we need to develop more life group leaders, or we're going to have to tell people, hey, we don't have room for you in our life groups. This is the level of urgency I desire for us to feel as members of our, our church. Don't make us do that. Don't make us refuse life group room and space to people because you refuse to commit to striving side by side with others for the faith of the gospel. First marker was allegiance to the king. The second one was laboring together with fellow citizens. The third is willingness to suffer for the kingdom. The third is a willingness to suffer for the kingdom as a marker of what it is to live a life worthy of a citizen of the gospel of Christ. Let me read verse 29. For it has been granted to you 
that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I'm going to read 29 again. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I know we've talked about suffering a good bit in the last few weeks. It's a very prominent theme in this book of the Bible. I don't want to be overly redundant in talking about it, but this topic, it does have a very important and unique presence, I believe, in this specific verse, in this specific passage as we talk about suffering as a citizen of the kingdom of God. There were many military vets likely in this church, many military vets. Many people who had given up a lot for the empire that they were citizens of. Many people who have a deep understanding of of the sacrifice and the suffering involved and required for that empire to be what it was. They had suffered loss in many ways as they had sacrificed for their kingdom. And now the apostle is saying to them, there's a new kingdom for you to suffer for. There's a a new king worthy of you suffering for. There's, There's a new conflict that that they are to engage with that will cause them suffering. The question for us today, is there anything that isn't of God? Is there anything that isn't explicitly and directly of God and what he is calling you to do that you are more willing to suffer for than you're willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Is there anything in your life that you find easier to suffer for than suffering for the kingdom of God, than than living a life worthy of being a citizen of the kingdom of God? That was a difficult question for me as I was even asking myself that question. Here's one of the things I noticed about my life. It'll be a weeknight. I don't know if y'all know about this. Netflix got this thing, right? You watch something, and then you ain't even planning on watching the next episode. But then they got this, like, this countdown. It's like one and a half seconds long. And this is all, already on the next episode. I have found myself in times staying up way too late, knowing I'm going to be tired the next day, knowing I'm going to be sleepy, knowing I'm not going to be as productive as I need to be the following day, but willing to stay up for that level of entertainment or escape or whatever it is. You know what I've not noticed myself being willing to do? Do that same thing, spending time in God's Word that same thing spending time in prayer why not well I gotta go to bed because I know I'm gonna be tired I'm not gonna be able to to function as well the next day if I stay up doing that I notice in myself a willingness to endure that for things that don't matter for things that don't even matter much less have eternal purpose and eternal meaning I've heard pastors lament many times before and I don't, I, don't, I don't know if this actually happens as much in our, in our church. I don't, I'm, maybe our children aren't quite old enough for this to be a thing as much now. But I've talked to pastors who, who have said, yeah, we, we struggle to do anything on weeknights because our parents are saying, well, I got to get my kids in bed, so we can't really do anything on a weeknight, which I understand. I understand that. Then they say, but the same parents, if that kid has a ball game, they're always there. Did the bedtime change? I'm- bad time what what happened I thought you had to be home by a certain time I thought you had to be home by a certain time what's my point just like Paul was calling this Philippian church likely with many veterans many military veterans that were right there in the church just like they were willing to suffer for this kingdom for the empire for the Roman empire he's saying I'm gonna need that same energy when it comes to the kingdom of God 
when it comes to the mission of God. This should lead us to ask the question, what are we more willing to suffer for than the kingdom of God? This will expose our hearts. Every kingdom that has risen to any type of power has had citizens that are willing to fight for it. Many have done this for our benefit and we will remember and celebrate them tomorrow, I believe as we should. Many have suffered greatly for the kingdom of God as well. I think about the prophets in the Old Testament and how many of them suffered over and over again as they proclaimed the truth of God's word. Acts chapter 7, verse 52 says this. This is in, I believe it is Stephen, in Stephen's sermon to the Jews about how they had killed Jesus. Here's what he said to them. He starts with the rhetorical question. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? He says, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murder. What is he saying? The legacy of prophets, of those who proclaim the good news that, that of God's salvation, who proclaim the word of God and call the people of God back to him, they get persecuted over and over and over again. This is part of our legacy in our faith. Because as the apostle points out, or as Stephen points out, it wasn't just the prophets of old, but it was also the righteous one who was betrayed and who was murdered. Our King Jesus, he suffered tremendously as he was taken by force by an angry mob in the middle of the night. As he was beaten repeatedly, as he was spit on, he was punched, he was beaten with rods, as he was forced to wear a crown of thorns, as he was beaten and flogged with a whip, as he was publicly shamed, as he was impaled by his hands and his feet on a cross to die. Our kingdom has a legacy of people willing to suffer that it might continue on. In the year 64, a great fire broke out in Rome. Emperor Nero was famously hostile towards Christians, and he blamed the Christians for the fire, so he tortured Christians in a variety of ways. One historian named Tacitus, if I'm saying that right, he wrote this. He said, a vast multitude were not only put to death, but put to death with insult, in that they were either dressed up in the skins of beasts to perish by the whirring of dogs, or else put on crosses to be set on fire. And when the daylight failed to be burned for use as lights by the night, Nero had thrown open his gardens for that spectacle and was giving a circus exhibition. He's saying for those at that time to proclaim to be a Christian, when when the emperor Nero was blaming Christians for this great fire that had broken out among them, they they were set on fire in his gardens just as a light, as a spectacle. And they still didn't recant their faith. Many people have believed so much in their kingdom that they willingly suffer great loss for it. Family, there has never been a kingdom more worthy of suffering for than the kingdom of God. There has never been a kingdom more worthy of suffering before. There is no king more worthy of reigning than our king, Jesus Christ. There is no kingdom that has done more good than the kingdom of God. There is no kingdom whose citizens have more reason to sacrifice than ours. It is the greatest of kingdoms. Praise God that we don't have to fear government-sanctioned physical persecution for believing in Jesus. But there are sacrifices that we are called to make as citizens of the kingdom of God. We have good reason to do the things that are hard that he calls us to do. We have good reason to remain faithful to Jesus even when we're laughed at and we're mocked. We have good reason to lead the life group, to continue to extend love to the person who has offended you, to continue to give financially to his kingdom, to volunteer and serve on different ministry teams, to pray and look for opportunities with your family members, your co-workers, your friends, to share Christ with them, to sacrifice whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to sacrifice. We have good reason because we have a good king. In fact, we have the best of reasons because we have the best of kings. 
and your willingness to suffer and sacrifice for the kingdom is such an indicator of whether or not we are living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. As citizens of a greater kingdom, because our king is so great, because his kingdom is so great, we have good reason to pledge our allegiance to our king, to labor together with fellow citizens, and to be willing to suffer for the kingdom.